Almighty God, you have given us the deepest mysteries we can contemplate this morning to hear from the word of God and to hear expounded from your word. Come, Holy Spirit, and open the hearts of your faithful people gathered here, expectant and waiting upon you, so that they may be feasting upon the mystery of the Incarnation this morning. Please be with me, the preacher of your word. Use me in spite of inadequacies and failings, Lord, to clearly expound God's word this morning. Pray that you would hide me behind the cross and let the glory of Jesus Christ shine alone. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is an ancient tradition, I don't know, going up back, you know, maybe 30, 40 years, I don't know, an ancient tradition of the church to uh, drop this particular passage from uh, John chapter 1 into the lap of a seminarian or a curate. You know, it's the deepest thing you could possibly preach about, and the pastor has uh, been through five or six uh, services already in the last few days, and so the only man standing typically was the curate or the seminarian, and they got, uh, they got the, the gift of being able to, to preach John chapter 1. Well, uh, this year I get to be that person, so I got it dropped in, in my lap, and I'm actually thrilled about it because... This is the, the deep mystery of Christmas is unveiled here in this passage. You know, that Greek word from which we get the word mystery, mysterion, means something that has been hidden or something that is secret. So the mysteries of our faith, those hidden things of our faith, the deep things of God, revolve around the person and the nature of God. <clears throat> and since we can never understand God fully, we can never understand these mysteries fully because they involve the very character and the very being, the essence of God. Now, there's an old spiritual that has the line, we'll understand it better by and by. And yes, indeed, we may understand it by and by, it better by and by when we're in the presence of God, but we will never understand it fully. But the wonderful thing about the mysteries of God is this, and this is why this is important. When we contemplate these very deep and rich things revealed to us in God's word, when we, under, when we contemplate these mysteries, they make our hearts swell with love and gratitude and praise for God. They, the, the weight of glory as we, as we contemplate in our hearts deeply these mysteries, the weight of glory falls upon us. And we get to praise God with gratitude and love. Christmas time, which, by the way, we are still in. So if you grew up in the 90s and remember the Adam Sandler singing the Hanukkah song, you know, uh, do you, anybody, don't raise your hand. <laughs> we all just learned that Captain Kirk and Spock were Jewish in that song. That was awesome. But, uh, but uh, you know, he said, uh, Christmas is only one day, but, you know, Hanukkah is eight crazy nights. Well, sorry, Adam, Christmas is 12 days. And we're smack dab in the middle of it. I think we're on day number seven. And so you are, uh, it, it is imperative for you to continue to, to feast and celebrate and make merry until you're given permission to stop by Father Benji. So that's how that works. We're still in the middle of Christmas. And Christmas is a season full of that kind of mystery, the mystery of who God is. And so I want us to briefly marinate in the central mystery of Christmas. If, uh, if I was saying it from my raisings in Richmond County, I'd say I'd, I want us to waller in the wonder. Right. Waller in the wonder. 
wallow in the wonder of the incarnation. The whole season is based on the mystery that God became a human being, a baby, and we call that mystery the incarnation, putting on a flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. J.I. Packer says of the incarnation, he says, God became man, the divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hell the incarnate deity. We'll never understand that fully. How could God be everywhere and yet physically occupy space and time in one place in the person of this tiny infant? How could the universe keep ticking along, running, when God was now confined to a human body? How could all the fullness of Godhead dwell, all the fullness of Godhead dwell within a human being? And that's exactly what we hear in Colossians, Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. Colossians 2.9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So what does that mean? What does it mean, this incarnation stuff? Well, Dorothy L. Sayers, I don't know if you remember her. You might know her from her mystery uh, stories back in the 40s. I think the 1930s and 1940s, Dorothy L. Sayers was a, a British mystery writer, among other things. She was a, a, liter, a, a literary scholar. She was ancillary to the Inklings. She, she knew all those folks who gathered in the Burden Baby Pub there in Oxford, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. And what many people don't recognize is that she was a phenomenal theologian. And she writes this, the incarnation means that for whatever reason God choose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience. From trivial irritations of family life. That didn't happen to anybody here during Christmas. <laughs> and the cramping restrictions of hard work and the lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. That's, that's amazing. It's a mystery. We'll never understand it. Even when we get to glory with Christ, we still won't understand it. We will be lost in wonder, love, and praise as the 
as the ages roll and we treasure these things that even angels desire to look into in our hearts. And moreover, John is clear in this passage. Jesus is God. It's one of the distinguishing characteristics of, of Christianity is that we believe and we say it in the creed, uh, if you come here long enough, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like on a loop in your brain, you know, very God from very God. You know? We believe the, that Jesus Christ is God. Why? Well, because John says so in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word. This is John's reference to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, why would God do such a thing? Well, in the Old Testament, when God appeared to a human, it was usually something terrifying, something that could possibly kill you. Woe to me, for I have seen the Lord. I am undone. The children of Israel saw him as a pillar of fire by night. Job encountered him as a tornado. And if you go and read how God appeared to Ezekiel, when he was with the exiles in Babylon, you're likely to come away scratching your head uh, what that vision, about what that vision is all about. But one thing is for sure, whatever Ezekiel saw, it was really scary. But the incarnation reveals something new about God, and God's character that was hinted at in the Old Testament, was, but was not consummated until the New Testament. One great Christian pastor and author has written... When God showed up, this is awesome, when God showed up in Jesus Christ, he was not a pillar of fire, not a tornado, but a baby. There is nothing like a baby. Even young children have their own agenda. They can run from you. But the little babies can be picked up, hugged, kissed, and they're open to it. They cling to you. Why would God come this time in the form of a baby rather than a firestorm or a whirlwind? Because this time, this is awesome, listen, because this time he came not to bring judgment but to bear it. This time he came not to bring judgment but to bear it, to pay the penalty for our sins, to take away the barrier between humanity and God so that we can be together Jesus is God with us. The incarnation did not happen merely to let us know that God exists. It happened to bring him near. So he can be with us and we with him. Christmas happened to bring God near, close to you. What an incredible generous and loving God to reveal his character to us. God wants to be close to us, to be near to us. Now here, there's a really big Bible idea that's in this passage, and we need to come to embrace this big Bible idea. John says, and you, most of us probably know this, that the word that he uses for word, the word became flesh, the word there is the logos. The logos became flesh. John says the logos became flesh. Now, there was an idea in ancient Greek philosophy, which was later taken up and elaborated on by Stoic philosophers, called the Logos. John's using that terminology. The ancient philosophers looked at the world around them, and they saw its complexity, and they saw its beauty, and they thought there has to be something behind all of this that gives this world its shape and form. There's got to be something managing, organizing, all of this to give this world its shape and form. 
C.S. Lewis says that these philosophers saw the Logos as that thing that gives the world shape and form. He said they saw the Logos as the all-pervasive principle of concretion. You haven't used that word this week, have you? The all-pervasive principle of concretion and cohesion whereby the universe holds together. In other words, the Logos, the ancient world saw the Logos as that principle that made things concrete, real, and knowable. And the the thing that John tells us is, hey, guys, that principle you're talking about, it's not just some abstract idea. It's not just some force. That that principle, the logos, is a person. Logos gives gives us the word logic. So those pre-modern thinkers saw the logos as what makes the universe logical and noble and understanding. And here's the big idea. Here's the big deal. John says that that logos is not merely an impersonal governing principle or force. He says that Logos is a person and that person showed up in a manger in Bethlehem. Isn't that astonishing? Guys, we, I mean, we just need to slow down. That's why you need 12 days of Christmas. You need to slow down a little bit and just waller in the wonder of that. He's the creator God and, he re- and the really crazy thing is that the very person who gives shape and form to rea- reality has become a human being. Now, what is the big deal about that? Well, if the governing principle of reality, the thing that gives form and shape to the cosmos and makes the cosmos meaningful as a person, th- this is so important. Please listen. You need to hear this at Christmas time. The only way to understand the universe is to know the Logos, and the only way to know the Logos is to embrace baby Jesus in the manger who grows up to be King Jesus reigning from a cross, crucified and resurrected. Now, here's some implications that as we stand on the cusp of 2024, I think there are some implications about this Logos thing, which you may or may not think is important right now, but let me, let me assure you it is, and let me tell you why. It's because so many of us, as we stand on the cusp of a new year, feel like the world is descending into chaos. Things seem out of control. Uh, by the way, we're not the only generation to ever feel this way. But we feel this way. We hear it in what people say. We read it in newspapers and, well, nobody reads newspapers, but we read it on the Internet. We hear the talking heads. We feel like the world is descending into chaos. Well, here's the good news that comes to us in this mystery. The Logos means that there is an intention. There's purpose behind all of reality. And no matter how chaotic things might seem to you right this very moment, The Logos governs the universe. It means that there is a real world that is, this is so important, there is a real world beyond how you feel about things right this very minute. Did you know that? Regardless of how you may feel about things, there is a real world beyond that, objectively existing, and the Logos governs it. Through him, the Bible says, John chapter 1, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. 
Or Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, here's the Logos, all things were created through him and for him. For him, the universe has a purpose, it has an intention. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. It means that the universe is not some protean, in other words, unorganized, uh, amorphous material. Some, it's not some protean material just waiting for me to impose my will upon it, and that's where meaning comes from. No, it means that my chaotic passions and desires are not the ordering agent of reality. It means that the good and loving Logos is the ordering agent of reality, and he orders this reality that he has made for your good. And your flourishing. That's what the incarnation means. You know, one of the defining characteristics of our primordial rebellion against God was a rebellion against the created order, against the Logos. But God's plan of redemption is in part to bring all of his creation back in line with his good purposes for you and for me. John tells us that the babe of Bethlehem is that Logos who created the universe. It was that little baby in the manger who breathed the breath of life into Adam. We need to wallow in that. The mystery of Christmas is that the Logos has come looking for us. The Logos, Jesus, left the glory of heaven to be born in a humble Jewish village in Roman-occupied Palestine. He left his throne to be laid in a manger. He left behind, behind the throngs of ministering angels to be held by a Virgin Mary. That's what God did for us at Christmas. He came in a way that we could feel and handle and smell and see his very presence among us. And dear brothers and sisters, this is one of the reasons that our Lord Jesus Christ instituted at his last meal this supper for the perpetual remembrance of his death so that we could handle and feel and taste his presence among us, not veiled in flesh, but veiled in bread and wine. Just as the shepherds adored the babe in the manger and worshipped in his presence today, when we come to the Lord's table, why don't we worship Jesus who offers himself in the mystery of bread and wine that becomes his habitation through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can never understand any of this fully. We can ponder it, marinate in it, wallow in it, But most of all, God invites us to receive it. Merry Christmas. Receive this gift. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.